0: There's nowhere in the world that has a flower show that matches Chelsea at all. And I think for anybody to go nowadays,
1: 100 years on, they'll just be astonished at what they see. It's a great treat. Every visit to Chelsea is wonderful. As soon as you step through those gates and the hubbub, the masses of people, the excitement, the energy that comes from the place is extraordinary.
2: What makes Chelsea Chelsea? I think, for me, that's where you see everything first. It's where all the trends are launched, it's where you see all the new plants, you see the new products. If anything's going to be exciting, it'll be at Chelsea.
3: Hello, I'm Sue Biggs, Director General of the Royal Horticultural Society, and welcome to this special programme celebrating 100 years of our flower show at Chelsea. Over the next 30 minutes, we'll be hearing from those that know Chelsea best, as we discover how it's changed over the years, and what goes into putting on the greatest flower show on earth. The RHS has been the world's leading gardening charity since 1804, and our flagship show is Chelsea. Chelsea matters so much because there's nowhere better to see the very finest in horticulture anywhere in the world, and that's inspiring for everybody. Whether you grow your own chilies on your balcony or you have a huge estate, it's really an amazing place to learn everything there is to know about gardens and gardening, whether you're one of our members or not. Garden designer James Alexander Sinclair tells us what he thinks is so unique about Chelsea. For
4: every plant that you see in a garden at Chelsea, three will have been grown, pretty well. So, so, so if I need 100 irises, then the unsung hero is growing 300 irises, from which the designer comes along and says, oh, I think I'll have that one, that one, that one, that one, and that one and not those ones. There's an awful lot of work behind something that, that, that makes you stand there and say this is gorgeous and, uh, and this works. It is the proverbial swan, you know. It's the swan gliding along and being gorgeous in the garden and, and, and underneath it there are hundreds of people in any garden who are the, are the wildly flapping feet propelling the whole thing along that you never ever see. But without it, the swan would sink bedraggled to the bottom of the pond.
3: Managing Director of Crocus, Mark Fane, has been building gardens at Chelsea for 20 years.
5: Well, the challenges are that you have 19 days to build a fantastic garden. Um, we tend to plan about a year and a half in advance. So when we turn up at on the, uh, uh, the showground, we know exactly what we're going to build. I mean that's, that's the theory. It doesn't always work that way. But it's certainly the, the main challenge is you're trying to do in the space of two and a half weeks what you should really be doing in a two to three months. Um, and you're in a very confined situation. You've got a lot of quite stressed people, and we have working on each garden about f- between forty and fifty people. Uh, we build two gardens each year, so we're trying to manage between a workforce of between sort of eighty to hundred people in a very very small uh, confined situation.
3: Neil Lucas from Knoll Gardens in Dorset is a chairman of Judges.
6: He tells us what Chelsea means to him. I sometimes say to people um, that actually the most important part of Chelsea is almost what goes on behind the scenes. It's a terrible thing to say, but um, if you imagine that we have gardeners and horticulturists literally come from all over the world, from South Africa, Australia, Grenada, New Zealand, um, and many of them are regular exhibitors at Chelsea. So it really is like a fantastic reunion. In fact, some people even say it's a bit of a nuisance having to put on a display because we could fill our time up beautifully without having to actually open the Show to the public. So there is a wonderful. Chelsea's got that unique feel. All shows have a little bit of camaraderie, but Chelsea is
7: unique.
3: So, where did it all begin? RHS historian Brent Elliott tells us more.
7: Today, everybody knows the phrase the Chelsea Flower Show, but there is another name for the exhibition, and that is the Royal Horticultural Society's Great Spring Show. And the Great Spring Show did not start at Chelsea. It had had two previous venues. The first Great Spring Show was held in 1862 in the Royal Horticultural Society's then new garden in Kensington. The RHS garden at Kensington was a short-lived affair. It was opened to the public in 1861 for the first time and it closed in 1888. When Kensington was abandoned, it fell back on Tiswick as its main garden and immediately began a search for an alternative garden because Chiswick was now enclosed by the suburbs and the air pollution was wreaking great havoc with the plants. So in 1903, the society acquired its garden at Wisley in Surrey and the Chiswick garden was thereafter abandoned. In 1912, the Great Spring Show was cancelled in order that the RHS could collaborate with some other organizations on organizing the Royal International Horticultural Exhibition. Sir Harry Veitch, the director of the Veitch Nurseries on the King's Road in Chelsea, arranged that the grounds of the Royal Hospital at Chelsea would be the venue for the Royal International Exhibition. This proved to be such a wonderful site for a show that the society asked the Royal Hospital if it could move the Great Spring Show there. So the first RHS Great Spring Show at the Royal Hospital was held in 1913. And already the phrase Chelsea Show was being used in the catalogue to advertise it.
3: The first Chelsea Flower Show consisted of 244 exhibitors, under half of what we'd expect today. That show cost the RHS £3,365 to stage, and made a profit of £88, which was distributed to other gardening charities. The show has been staged almost every year since 1913. Despite the First World War, it was held from 1914 to 1916, but was then cancelled in 1917. It was also cancelled during the Second World War. Over the last century, there have been many changes to the show, ranging from preferences in plants to styles of garden design, as well as changes to the way in which the show grounds have been organised. Here's Brent Elliott.
7: In the early days, there were several tents at Chelsea for different purposes. In 1951, these tents were combined into one giant marquee, which for decades was regularly listed in the Guinness Book of Records as the world's largest tent, covering something approaching four acres. In the year 2000, the Great Marquis was replaced by a new pavilion, which was easier to assemble, uh, had better lighting, etc. Admittedly, it did have to be brought into the showground in 40 lorries. The old tent, plus its predecessor, which was still in storage, was cut up and recycled as a large number of aprons, baskets, and other impedimenta marketed by a temporary company called the Old Chelsea Marquee Company.
3: So what makes the Chelsea Flower Show so special? Here's Alan Titchmarsh.
7: I first went to Chelsea Flower Show in 1969,
0: which was, it blew me away. I mean, I think anybody who goes there for the first time and sees these amazing gardens and what was then an enormous marquee full of flowers, fruits and veg, which is now the Great Pavilion, it just shows them horticulture,
3: gardening, growing things at its absolute peak. And Matt Biggs broadcaster and plantsman tells us why the great pavilion is so special the great pavilion the focal point of all the
1: plants replaced a series of smaller tents in uh, 1951 and the extraordinary fact about it is that it's nearly three acres in size and there's enough room there to park 500 london buses so you can imagine there's a massive plant displays there and everybody is trying to get the best out of every display and of course For those who visit, it's absolutely wonderful. It's an extravaganza. I think
0: people imagine that this show takes months and months to put together. They'd be astonished if you told them that the large show gardens outside were made in three weeks. That's all they get. Most of the people in the Great Pavilion come in with just two or three days to make these enormous great stands that look as if they've been growing there forever. They're at the peak of perfection, so everything is in full bloom, or in full fig, if it's fruit. To achieve that in such a short space of time takes enormous skill and dedication, and I think people, if
3: they realise that when they come round, they'll be even more blown away. In addition to gardens being displayed by designers and nurseries, from the 1950s onwards there have been show gardens sponsored by other charities and major international companies. Over the years, Chelsea seen many gardens of note. In 1959, the Times Garden of Tomorrow featured a radio-controlled lawnmower, which got people talking. And in 2011, Darmid Gavin's Irish Sky Garden was the first garden to be suspended 60 feet in the air from a large crane. The Chelsea Flower Show medals are the ultimate prize for all those who exhibit there. James Alexander Sinclair explains why.
4: The medals at Chelsea are the way that that we, and this is me with my RHS hat on, the way that we reward people for excellence. Um, and, And they're very important. They're very important to the designer, they're very important to the sponsor, they're very important to the landscapers who actually build the garden, and they're very important, or increasingly important to the public,
6: Chelsea medal is really above anything else because the show itself is above anything else. It's the only place where you get the international community uh, of plants, people together, and, of course, the World's Press. It it is the show, it is the ultimate horticultural event, and I think anything that is the ultimate, any kind of reward or any effort you put into it, is also the ultimate. I don't think I will ever forget the very first time that we actually exhibited at at Chelsea. Uh, We had nothing to lose, so it was just like another show. We'd won golds before for but not at Chelsea Um, and I think that very first morning when I was was walking down to see what kind of medal we'd got Um, and it was almost you know whether or not we'd been thrown out of the world's best flower show or not Um, and we actually came up and it was a gold Um, and it was a probably one of the most special moments in my horticultural career I have to say I made a phone call to my mum and it was almost tearful it was that important
5: We've been very lucky and we've had a very good run. We've won um, the Best in Show prize uh, five times in the last six years. And one of the great fallacies of, of, of gardening is that everyone thinks that gardeners are nice, cuddly, friendly people. In fact, they're deeply competitive and they like winning and we like winning. And everyone competes at Chelsea, to not because they want to have a good time. They compete because they want to win a gold medal. So um, I think the, the proudest moment is, is winning those best in shows because that is quite, um, quite a feat. Um, it's only possible by getting everyone really motivated and understanding what we're trying to achieve. But I think it's, um, it's compete, you're, you're competing at the, the top stage. It's a bit like saying, you know, why, why do people want to win the World Cup? I mean, it is, it is for me, the Chelsea Flower Show is the World Cup of the gardening world.
3: Chelsea is certainly the place where garden designers make a name for themselves but in reality it's the plants that are the real stars of the show. Here's why Matt Biggs loves it so much.
1: Everything from the smallest plants like the uh, auriculas and little primulas to the great gardens they all have that swagger. It will seem to acknowledge that they are there on show and it's a place to show off and to celebrate beauty. And everybody in, in their way, I think, is in awe of the plants when they come to Chelsea because they see perfection in a way that they can't
7: always create in their own garden. Many plants that were, had been newly bred by nurseries or newly discovered got their first major public airing at uh, Great Spring shows at Kensington, at the Temple and at Chelsea. Chelsea has seen the introduction of plants ranging from Saxifrage tumbling waters in 1920, to the Himalayan blue poppies uh, brought back from Tibet by Kingdon Ward, to the various candelabra primulas and other Asiatic primulas. Rhododendron Yakushimanum in the late 1940s. Chelsea is always a launchpad
1: for new varieties. It's a great place to get publicity. And the fascinating thing is that you get a whole range of plants and those that are launched don't necessarily become box office. It, it's, is it botanical or box office? It's the public that decide in the end with the plants that they buy. But the nursery people are always wanting to bring in something new, a new product, something to catch the eye.
8: Organic herb grower Jacob McVicker. For me, I think it's not just the new; it is the it is the old, and the or something that has not been shown before, which can get me so excited. I remember exhibiting a plant that had not been seen for a long time, or if ever, at Chelsea. So I did a hedge out of Prostranthra cuneata which is the Australian mint bush, which is used by the Aborigines for chest complaints and things like this. It's really good. And it was in full flower, so you can imagine. It was just beautiful, you know, little white bell-shaped flowers
3: with little purple dots down the throat. And um, absolute magic. In recent years, the RHS plant committees have voted to crown one plant RHS Chelsea Flower Show Plant of the Year. The competition is open to any plant on display which has never been exhibited at a show for gardeners before. This year, we'll also be searching for a plant of
2: the centenary. Here's Chelsea show manager, Sarah Easter. 100 plants are being selected at the moment by a specialist panel. They'll then be whittled down to 10. And these are all plants that are very important or special to Chelsea or have been launched at Chelsea. I'm
3: Sue Biggs and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast as we celebrate 100 years of the Chelsea Flower Show. If it's too late for you to get tickets this year, but you'd like to be in with a chance of winning a pair of tickets for the 2014 show, Do visit our website at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. You can also email podcast at rhs.org.uk. So what have been some of Chelsea's most memorable moments? Brent Elliott tells us more.
7: There have been stands that have been influential in terms of style. I am thinking particularly of Christopher Bradley Hall's Latin Garden in the nineteen nineties, which played a great role in popularizing sparse planting. There have been gardens that have signaled acts of generosity. In the 1990s, there was a garden staged by Uzbekistan, the plants for which did not arrive in time, thanks to traffic problems on the continent of Europe. And the garden went ahead because so many of the other nurserymen offered plants from their collections to help the unfortunate designers through. There have also been gardens that have prompted infighting and mutual complaint among gardeners in the press. It might be invidious to name names. There have been accusations of plagiarism. There have been complaints about erotic content of gardens, about the comparative lack of horticulture visible in the gardens. This reached its peak with James May's Plasticine Garden in 2008, in which, as a homage to the inventor of Plasticine, all the plants in the garden were composed of that material. There was much discussion round and about press day whether the garden deserved a medal or not, but the RHS got around this one very nicely. They presented James May with a gold medal made of plasticine.
3: Chelsea is a favourite of the British royal family who attend the opening day every year. The Queen is the patron of the Royal Horticultural Society and during her reign of 60 years has attended all but 12 shows. Mark Fane remembers a particular one of Her Majesty's visits well.
5: A couple of years ago, I was standing on the garden just waiting for the royal walk round, And three different people from Buckingham Palace came up to me and said, uh, under no circumstances must the Queen walk over that bridge, pointing to a relatively low but potentially quite slippery bridge. So I said, fine, the Queen can do what she wants, but uh, I will make sure she doesn't walk across that bridge. So the Queen turns up and immediately walks straight across the bridge And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, do I tap her on the shoulder saying, you can't do that? Or do I say, um, please go wherever you want, your majesty? So I was complete sort of flummoxed. I was totally comfortable with telling her what the plants were and all that sort of thing. But I had no idea whether you're allowed to tell the queen to not do something. So I I just kept my mouth shut.
3: Organic herb grower, Jacob McVicker.
8: I'll never forget my first exhibit. I was next door to a stand from Granada. Here, yeah. and there they were, with fresh nutmeg. Here, yeah. it was magic. I also will never forget that first Chelsea, because I turned up in my friend's borrowed horse-box. You've never been to Chelsea. you won't realize what a small area it is, and they get all the lorries in, and you have them all shunted up. A horse-box has a tail flap that you have to bring down. I had to wait for a day to pulling my flap down so I could unload. Not only was that a stress, I was camping in Battersea Car Park because in those days we were called the hardy perennials. Ha <laughs> ha! But it really were, we were incredibly hardy and we used to camp because, again, being a small nursery, actually physically the cost of staying in London was too much. And it was great because you had the other exhibitors around you and you could say, oh, I've gone and left this at home and, oh, I've gone and left that at home. And everybody helped. I know you're in competition for that
3: gold medal, but you're not. The only competition is yourself. George Anderson, senior RHS examiner and broadcaster, remembers one of his early Chelsea experiences.
9: One of my first memories of Chelsea is from a great number of years ago and it was one of those moments which, to me, is always a wonderful leveller a well-known horticultural broadcaster. Uh, I'd been somebody I'd followed on on television for a great number of years. And I came down to Chelsea as quite a, a young fellow from Scotland. And the first person I saw at the show was this personality, who I won't mention. But he was managing to trip and land horizontal after having caught his foot on a picket fence. So it was quite humorous to me that, that there was Chelsea with all this theatre, but even in that, there was a levelling and we were all the same. We could all make mistakes, we could all enjoy it, and I have joked about that with him uh, since.
3: And here's Mark Fane with one of his more memorable Chelsea moments.
5: One of the very early gardens we built was for Chanel and just at the end of an incredibly hard uh, construction uh, process, because you've only got 19 days to build these gardens. On the very last day, on press day, Karl Lagerfeld turned up with uh, all his supermodels, and um, I was about sort of 35 at the time, and I I was asked to lift one of these supermodels onto the top of a statue, and as I lifted this unbelievably beautiful woman, she was wearing an incredibly flimsy Chanel dress, um, her dress fell off, so there I was in the middle of Chelsea Flower Show with this incredibly beautiful girl, pretty nearly totally naked. Um, and it sort of, I suppose that's certainly one of the more memorable moments of, of, of Chelsea.
3: Now, another quirky side to Chelsea is that garden gnomes have traditionally been banned from the show. Sarah Easter.
2: As you may know, we've had a ban on gnomes at Chelsea for many a year and somehow, somehow, our press department have managed to sneak gnomes back in for our 100th show with uh, gnome art, where celebrities will be decorating uh, a gnome and then they'll be auctioned off.
3: And here's Jackie McVicar. What you've got to realise is
8: in the Floral marquee, you have come to see the best plants in the world. If you have a jolly gnome, rather large, fishing, what do you look at? Jolly gnome fishing. You don't actually see that tiny, beautiful specimen of Oreganum dictanimus just coming out into flower. You don't just see, you know, some wonderful little miniature tulips, you know, just bursting, or some irises like, I mean, they're breathtaking, the iris, I suppose. You know, you, you just don't notice it because your eye is drawn away to the if you like the accessories and that is the only real reason why all these accessories are not allowed and if you use props within your display you have to get permission and it has to be done
2: as kenny everett used to say in the best possible taste so they're making their way back in for the hundredth show which uh, we will allow just this once but amongst the gardens or the exhibits, we don't allow gnomes, so it's a special one-off.
3: So how has the show changed over the years? Here's Alan Titchmarsh. Chelsea Flower Show has changed dramatically over the last 40 years. I remember you could go there every year and the
0: standard has always been matchless, it's been brilliant and you were always looking there, the, the best constructed gardens you'd ever see. But the styles have evolved and I think now they're much more refreshing each year is different you do find it pushing forward more and more in the old days you go then you could recognize each garden by the landscape designer who had done it because you sort of got to know their styles now it gets much more difficult because style evolves much faster and I think that's good simply because it shakes you out of your sort of rut that you might be you oh, know a bit of grass here a terrace there some water here Gardens now are really the cutting edge of design and fashion and I think the standard of them now and certainly the standard of breadth of design is greater than it's ever been.
3: James Alexander Sinclair remembers how it was at his first visit. 1985,
0: when
4: I first came to Chelsea, the bank at the end, down by the Bullring Gate, which is called the Rock Garden Bank, actually had rock gardens on it and they were full of rhododendrons and you go there, last year, there are no rock gardens and there are hardly any rhododendrons at all, things change. Last year it's all about sort of wispy cow pastures and oh my goodness, what can we actually grow? Because there's been a drought the whole way through March, and then it's rained ever since. Uh, and, and there's always a certain amount of panic like that, um, which the newspapers like to make a big thing of. It says, oh, Chelsea, will it happen? Will the weather kill Chelsea this year? No, of course it will. But that whole... Thing of fashion and things change, and you will see some plants that suddenly appear. There was a moment in the mid 1990s when there were alliums everywhere, and then there was aquarius, and then last year there were kypases everywhere, and things move around. But what you see now is much more of that sort of floaty, ethereal, natural, meadowy style. Rather than if you look at photographs from the 1950s, every garden in, in Chelsea was hideous. I mean, they were, they were, they were ridiculous. It was, it was basically an exhibition for azalea nurseries, a lot of them. Um, and so fashion changes and things move around. And Jekka
8: McVicker looks to the future. Chelsea's role will always be a showcase for plants and a showcase for what we can do. And the gardens will be championing that and they will be showing us how we can have a balanced, sustainable garden. What we can introduce into our garden to uh, have more bees and butterflies, therefore more pollinating insects, therefore better food production. It'll also show us in the science section, because don't forget there's a science section at Chelsea, you know which is really good, and it shows you know how you can use solar panels to heat your water or to you know heat your plants and I mean there was a fantastic section last year you know on on alternative energy and within the garden and um, to always go and have a look at the science section um and it, I think I, I never negative. But I am really aware that we are at a big crossroads with this weather we have. You know, we don't have rain; we have damp. Or we don't have gales; we have, you know, hurricanes. And even in the UK, and so therefore, it is very important that we get the balance of nature back.
3: George Anderson agrees. I chair the panel which
9: judges the science and learning exhibits at Chelsea. Now, the excellence in horticulture is going to change in the next. 5, 10, 15, 100 years. It will not be the same in 100 years as it is now. Our gardens will be different. Our value of space will be different to what it is now. Our lifestyles will be different. But what we've got to remember is that there is, first of all, nothing that we eat that doesn't come from plants. And secondly, that if we only surround ourselves with concrete and glass and steel we will be so much poorer for it. We need green plants. We need things which grow, because those are the things which are imprinted in the back of our head, in the back of our brain, and give us the sensibility of seasons. And if we don't have that, we'll have lost a lot. So really carry on doing what we do well and make sure that we keep the standards up as high as we possibly can.
3: Chelsea inspires everybody to try and garden better, and it showcases all the work that the RHS does in its many areas of charitable work, including community gardening with Britain in Bloom and It's Your Neighbourhood, education in schools, and scientific research. Proceeds from Chelsea's charity Gala also raises funds that go directly to the RHS Campaign School Gardening, something that Alan Titchmarsh has been proud to be involved with.
0: I've been battling for a lot of years to get horticulture and gardening more recognised as a career for all kinds of people and it's great that the RHS are incredibly keen on this too and the Campaign for School Gardening aims to make sure that within primary schools in particular there's chance for children to experience growing things and we've now got more than 16,000 schools signed up for that. There are all levels of gardening. There are more than 60 different branches of horticulture, from research and journalism to media to science to creating and looking after great plant collections, growing things. And it's a side that is often overlooked, I think, particularly by careers officers. It offers chances and opportunities to a wide range of school leavers. And this whole campaign for school gardening aims to redress the balance, to show people the importance of horticulture and growing in our daily lives Without plants, we'd be dead. They feed us, but they also feed our hearts and souls by looking beautiful. Gardening, growing things, plants, flowers is an important part of everybody's life and to be involved with that is an incredibly rewarding job.
3: So the Chelsea Centenary is going to be a very special show. It will of course celebrate our heritage, but it's really devoted to the next hundred years and to inspiring the next generation simply by gardening we can all make such a difference to our world and
0: it's important that we remember the value of aesthetics of things that look beautiful and also the fact that these aesthetics also enable us to survive by providing us with nutrition gardening is vital but it's also hugely enjoyable stimulating and a thing of beauty
3: Don't forget that you can win a pair of tickets for next year's show by visiting us at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. You can also download and subscribe to our fortnightly podcast via the RHS website or on iTunes. From me, Sue Biggs, Director General, and all of us at the RHS, it's goodbye.